The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. There was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the wedding. When the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, how does your concern affect me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servers, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish ceremonial washings, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told them, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it. And when the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine without knowing where it had come from, although the servers who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely, an inferior one. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this at the beginning of his signs at Cana in Galilee, and so revealed his glory, and his disciples began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make one note on the first two readings. Uh, the first reading for, uh, from the Old Testament, uh, we hear kind of towards the end of it a little bit of spousal language, a little bit about marriage, bride and bridegroom. And just want to point that out because uh, God often chooses to use a marriage-like language for his relationship with us. And in fact, Jesus is even used that more explicitly with the church later on, where he, he talks about laying his life down like a, a husband <clears throat> should lay down his life for his wife. Jesus himself lays down his life. Uh, and so we see that uh, this marriage language, this covenant, that it's something more than just a, a, a unity of convenience, but something that God chooses even though the people of Israel are often unfaithful. God is faithful, right? And, uh, and so his commitment within that. And that is really important because how we understand marriage affects also at times how we, uh, how, how we see God's relationship or faithfulness with us, right? And so uh, marriage is something that isn't just a human institution, but is a divine institution that God himself speaks about and that affects us, right? In the second reading today, we talk about the Spirit, and the Spirit has many different expressions, many different ways in which it works, but one Spirit. And I think this is so important uh, for us to be able to have a type of unity in diversity. Except for, I would say, instead of you know, just kind of a, a diversity of equality in some ways, I love uh, the term that God uses and that we see within nature is a complementarity. That there are, are differences um, that aren't, uh, are, don't inhibit our ability to be able to be one, but a complementarity that actually allows us to be able to bring forth something more that we couldn't have done if we were all the same. And the best example of this is the complementarity of male and female, that God has actually worked into his very creation, this ability of this complementarity of male and female that, uh, that through that complementarity, that actually life would be able to come forth. 
And if we reject this complementarity, we also reject God's great gift and his desire for us uh, in the world. And so it's just kind of one kind of connection as well with the second reading. All right, now to dive into the gospel today. This is one of my favorite gospels, and I think I've probably said this a few times because there's a lot of really awesome stories within the gospels. Uh, But this one is just packed with uh, spiritual significance as well as uh, sacramental and, and uh, Marian uh, significance as a whole. All right? So we're just going to walk through this and kind of point out certain things that you've heard, you've probably noticed, but not really acknowledged and not really uh, seen within this. So the first thing is, is a wedding in Cana. Okay, we know what a wedding is, although at that time it would have been more than just a one-day event. It would have been multiple days. And we hear that the mother of Jesus was there, okay? So it actually seems as, and then it says Jesus and his disciples were also invited. It seems that actually uh, Mary was invited and Jesus is kind of the second thought, right? So it seems like it's a family friend. And uh, some people have thought that it's actually uh, Jesus bringing his disciples, you know, this ragtag group of, of men that actually caused the wine to run short. You know, maybe more people than they were expecting uh, to be able to be at the wedding. Um, but, but important there that Mary's first there. It says, when the wine ran short, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now, what's significant about that? Well, the significance is, is that we notice that the head waiter, as well as the groom and bridegroom, haven't noticed that they're running low on wine. They haven't run out of wine. It's just that they're running low on wine. And Mary, by being invited to the wedding, actually notices that before anyone else. Wow. The attentiveness, the care that she has to her family and friends. Here she is. She's not concerned just about how her own enjoyment there, but about the care for the, the groom and bridegroom. Now, what's the significance there? Well, if we invite Mary into our life, right, into our relationships, uh, into our problems, she will notice those problems before we ourselves even notice, right? She has an eye, a love, a care, which can't be uh, compared to. She noticed those things before they go wrong and is already interceding for us on our behalf. And so she goes, right? She goes to the person, right? She can't take care of it herself. She's not God. She doesn't have the authority to be able to do that. But she does have someone that she knows that can, right? And so she goes to that person, right? She goes to her son, Jesus Christ, and she tells him they have no wine. Now, Jesus knows what she's getting at, but he's not exactly ready. And we hear this statement, woman, how does your concern affect me? Now, interesting enough, Jesus says that this is her concern, even though it's not really her concern, it's the bridegroom's uh, and the groom's concern. But Mary is identified so closely with it that Jesus says it's her concern, right? And this is sometimes kind of seen as a rebuttal to Mary, uh, this kind of woman, right? We would think, why isn't he using mother? He's kind of using this distant language. Um, although kind of diving into it in some ways of the Greek that's written here, it's kind of ambiguous whether this, we see this as a distancing, like, oh, woman, you know, 
but in the Greek, it's not so clear. It might actually be a normal term that was used for a mother and might have actually been affectionate. Now, it's not, the, the Greek isn't clear. So I don't want to say that it was affectionate, uh, but it's not necessarily an affront or kind of a pushing back of Mary, okay? He says, why, is he, why does he not want to do anything? Well, he says, my hour has not yet come. What does that hour mean? When we hear it within John, when we hear about the hour and getting ready for the hour and the hour of fulfillment, we think, should think about it in the Gospel of John. The hour is not just, hey, when I start working miracles, right? When we start having fun. That's not what this hour is. This hour, when Jesus speaks about it, is the hour of his passion and death. Okay? So when he says, my hour has not yet come, he says, I'm not ready to die. Right? I'm not ready to start that journey because as soon as he starts working signs and miracles, he knows that his hour of passion and death has begun. Okay? Now, Mary herself also knows this. Uh, Most um, early uh, church fathers would say that Mary knew this, right? She knew that she was asking Jesus to not only work a miracle here, but to start his journey towards death, towards that fulfillment of his mission here on earth. And Mary, being the loving mother that she is, kind of pushes forth her son, right, to, to do what he was made to do, but also to offer him up in this very act, to say, yes, your hour is not yet come, but, but this is worthy. And, and how do we know that? Well, she says, she doesn't wait for him to say, you know, okay, Mary, what do you want? You know, okay, I'll do, okay, if you want, she says, you know, she tells the servers, do whatever he tells you. Now, again, this is rich with significance. Not only does Mary have the trust that Jesus is going to respond to her requests, right? She, even though that Jesus hasn't been explicit, she has confidence because she's his mother that he's going to obey and be respectful, right? And, and, and uh, fulfill it. And it's also significant that he tells the servers to do whatever he tells you, right? And that's what Mary does. Mary doesn't take us away from Jesus. She continually points towards Jesus and says, not do whatever, do whatever I tell you, right? Do whatever my son tells you. Do what Jesus tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And sometimes it's a little bit confusing, right? Sometimes we need that little bit of help because sometimes what God tells us or what Jesus tells us is a little bit confusing, okay? Here the servers know. Uh, I'm guessing that they were kind of in the area. They know what we're trying to get at. Okay, we're trying to get more wine. Jesus is going to do something, right? And then he tells them to go fill up the jars with water, these purifying waters. And it's kind of like, uh, we need wine, not water, right? So you can kind of imagine the servers just kind of doing this with a certain amount of distrust, right? As we ourselves often do as well at times when we hear certain commandments by God. We're kind of like, well, I don't really get it. You know, I don't see the connection, right? But yet they were confident in Mary as well as Jesus that they said, okay, we don't get it, but we're going to do whatever he tells us. And so in their trust, in their faith, in their action, Jesus actually transforms something, right? Now, I want to make another significance of this, is that Jesus could have worked this miracle in many different ways, 
right? He works the multiplication of the loaves by taking something that's already there and multiplying it. He could have taken the wine that was already there and just multiplied it, right? He could have just filled those jars from nothing into wine, right? And filled them up. But how does God often work? God often works, and Jesus works in his miracles as well, not by solitary lone action, but actually by cooperation with us. That he asks us to do something, and in our cooperation, miracles take place, not by ourselves, but by our cooperation with God. And that's what we see here as well. The servers respond and obey him, and in that, miracles take place. So they take this water, and again, they only get water, because that's all that they're able to do. But God transforms it, Jesus transforms it into wine. Now, it's not only just another uh, substance, um, but we'd actually say here is that there's a significance of kind of this natural water that's good, and God transforming it into this wine that has an almost supernatural quality. In kind of uh, Greek mythology and others, as well as the ancient kind of idea of wine and inebriation at that time, wine and alcohol was seen as this type of participation in kind of divine life. It's this kind of overfilling joy that it takes us out of our normal life and gives us a certain amount of divinity. Now, I want to be very clear here, right? In moderation, okay, right? Wine is good, is something that God has given us uh, to cheer our heart. However, it needs to be properly used and not misused. And that's often true with many of God's greatest gifts, is that they can be easily misused by us. But we want to acknowledge that it is a good gift, right? And so we see also here the significance of at times God taking natural things and through our cooperation with him, transforming it into something supernatural. We see this within the sacraments, within baptism, taking ordinary water and making it a means of salvation. We see it here at the altar where we take ordinary bread and wine and it transforms to become the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ by our cooperation and doing whatever he tells us, right? And he told us to do this in remembrance of him. Right? So we see this significance happening again and again. We also like to uh, say that this wedding feast of Cana is where Jesus actually instituted the sacrament of marriage. That God took this institution, this bond that uh, he created of marriage, a natural good, and actually transformed it into a supernatural good. Something, a sacrament that would actually be a dispenser of grace in our life, right? That marriage is no longer just a natural bond, but a supernatural bond that God has blessed in a supernatural way, okay? The last thing to kind of point on is that the head waiter is amazed, right? He's amazed, not only because he was wine, he didn't even realize that they were running short on wine, right? Maybe not the best head waiter, okay? But when he tastes the wine, he says, wow, this is the best wine, right? Normally you serve good wine and then inferior wine after. But here, Jesus is inversing it. Now, what, do we, what significance do we have of this? 
Well, I think a lot of the times we can look at the Old Testament and we can look at God's relationship with Abraham and Isaac and even the nation of Israel and say, wow, God was so close to them and he was working in their lives and we can see that and that was really good. And now we kind of have an inferior relationship. We kind of have not as good of a wine as a relationship as they had back then, right? God served the good wine then, and now we just have an inferior wine. But actually, that's not the case. That's actually a really poor way of looking at the way that God is working in the world. That we can actually acknowledge that we're not living in an inferior time, you know, later in the church of, oh, we haven't quite, you know, held to exactly the early church and, and, and everything that the early church did. But no, we can actually say that we live by many accounts, in the golden age of God's relationship with his people. Why? Because we have all this revelation that has been given to us. We have the scriptures, the Old Testament, the New Testament. We have the doctrine that it wasn't just planted as a seed in the early church, but actually has been developed and understood. And so we have a clearer understanding of the sacramentality, of the theology, the understanding of God, and that God has given us the sacraments, the sacraments of the Eucharist, the sacraments of marriage, that we're able to take advantage of those things, as well as confession and baptism and anointing of the sick. These are amazing gifts that God is giving to us in a personal and interactive and and real way to us today. And so, as we continue here, let us acknowledge the great gift that God has given us in all of his amazing gifts. The gift of Mary, the gift of marriage, the gift of having us cooperate with his grace and the gift uh, here at Mass. And so let us, let us do whatever he tells us. Let us transform, allow him to transform our natural good into hopefully supernatural, the, the supernatural good of wine in our life.